Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Today is my conversation with Andrew Wallace. Many of you know Andrew. I have been working with Andrew for several years and it's been a really interesting journey for me of self-love, self-discovery, self-respect. I've never ever went as deep as I've been into my inner work as I did with Andrew. What is really special about Andrew is he was a very, very successful businessman and he decided to do the work himself. When he decided to go on this personal inner journey, he studied for a degree in theology and a master's in psychology. And then he opened a clinical practice helping and supporting people And it has been a great success for him. He's been practicing and teaching for over 40 years. He wrote several books. One of them, my favorite, is Call of the Search. And it's a really amazing book. Today I'm talking with Andrew about the law of least effort. Law number four of the seven spiritual laws of success of Deepak Chopra. I hope you enjoy episode four. Good morning, Andrew, and thank you again for joining me for episode four of the seven spiritual laws of success by Deepak Chopra. Today, we will listen to you explain the law of least effort. When I hear this sentence, the law of least effort, I think this sounds the exact opposite of everything We've been told since we were old enough to understand instructions, whether it's at home or at school or whatever we've been doing since we are children. What we constantly are told is to always make effort, make a lot of effort, always push ourselves to the maximum. And when we don't get what we want, it's a, a given that we are going to be very, very upset and we hear a lot of get over it, get over it. So I really look forward to hearing you explain what does Deepak mean by the law of least effort? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, good morning, Lara, and it's lovely to be with you again. I, I so enjoy these chats. I think there's there's two or three points of preamble that I'd just like to make. As always, in case this is the first podcast that someone's listening to, I want to just make reference to the fact that the physical universe, the material universe, operates with certain laws like gravity, like Sir Isaac Newton's laws, like the Heisenberg mm -hmm. principle, and, and all of those go on in the background. We, we never go through the day thinking about, I wonder if gravity will be there or not, or mm -hmm. I want, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and these laws that we're talking about, including the law today, operates in exactly the same way. This is one of the ways in which the universe operates. And it's really important to understand the validity and the efficacy of that. Yeah. And the second thing 
just like you've said, is we've been conditioned and taught in our families of origin, in our schools, by our religions, by a whole host of different communities and influences, that effort and working hard is the most important thing. And that doesn't mean, I'm not going to say that there are times when effort is very helpful, there's times when working hard is helpful. But I Mm -hmm. do remember over 20 years ago, when my children were at school, having arguments with the teachers when I suggested that my children didn't do any homework. And (laughs) of course, it, it, it brought me into huge conflict with the school. And the third thing I just want to say is, as you know, I work with individuals and I work with a lot of companies, a lot of businessmen and women, CEOs, mm-hmm. etc. And over the last 20 years, I can honestly say this is the most difficult principle for people to understand. So we need to take our time and unpack it very slowly. So the first thing I want to say is, for me, a lot of the great systems of medicine, like Chinese medicine, like Ayurvedic medicine, are aligned with nature. And, and I think the more we can live our life uh, aligned with nature, learning from nature, the happier and more fulfilled we will be. And I think a good entry point for this is I often use the example, both my wife and I, we love flowers. And mm-hmm. so we have a lot of flowers around the house. And flowers you know, every day they open a little bit, they close a little bit at night, they open more, and then there's a point at which they reach their fulfillment, their their, Mm. uh, maximum beauty or magnificence. And I often think that if you or I, if human beings were a flower, we would develop by saying, oh my God, I'm not going to be as beautiful as she is. Oh my God, I'm (laughs) not going to grow as quick. Oh my God, I'm not going to be as colorful. Oh my, you know, we would have a constant dialogue going on about what if this, what if that, what if, you know, I might not be the best blood. Whereas a flower simply mm-hmm. unfolds in the knowledge that it contains everything to reach its fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same with a, with a tree or any living thing. They don't have this inner dialogue that human beings have. They just naturally evolve. And that, I think, is the backdrop and the portal for us understanding this principle. Because if we could stop for long enough the conversations in our head, the the agitation about life, about trying to control life, we would begin to understand this principle. And I, I think most people would understand the sentiment that in our current culture, certain certainly in Western culture, North America, people are running around like headless chickens. Everybody is under stress. They're on this, another analogy that is used, we're on this treadmill and we can't get off the treadmill. And, and a lot of people I know, you know, are working 12, 14 hour days. They're constantly on the go. And so this principle, a good place to start, is to understand this principle is saying, just get off the treadmill, just stop, just pause. And from that place of pausing, we will understand that much more can be achieved than through that constant effort. And do you agree that uh, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can answer that, but how come we are taught exactly the opposite? Is it just by, by pure ignorance that human, you know, do that to each other? I think the 
the entry point for that is, which I'd like to come back to in a, a few minutes, if I may, but is the difference between ego, what we tend to call ego or identity, yeah. and the difference between maybe love or our true nature. So again, yeah. you know, if you look at, you know, what's happened over the last 20 years through the industrialization We've tended to label certain cultures, certain societies like ours as civilized, and we've called other cultures primitive. We, we, th- you know, yeah. this was a dominant zeitgeist for a long time. And what's happened over the last 10 to 20 years, we've woken up to the fact that these cultures that we've labeled primitive have this incredible body of wisdom, whether you're talking mm-hmm. about Native American culture or yogi culture or the Hopi elders or the aboriginals. It goes on and on and on. But so to answer your question, what we did is we came along and we definitely, there was some tremendous advancement in medicine and in technology and other areas of life. But mm-hmm. but actually what's happened is that advancement has happened at the expense of cutting off from our true nature. So we're, mm. we're disconnected from what those other cultures take for granted and yeah. live with every day. They, they yeah. know how to listen to their inner voice. They know how to be still. They know how to spend time sitting around a campfire connecting. Yeah. So, Andrew, if you don't mind telling us what's the law of least effort, I mean, and how can we put the law into action? So I just, before I do that, Laura, if I may, I just want to mention one other factor that I think will resonate with most people. So over the last sort of 20 years, I've sat with a lot of CEOs. I don't know how many, but a lot. And at some point in the conversation, I've said to them that every CEO knows that we're driving people harder and harder and harder. And there's a point at which additional input creates no extra output. So it doesn't matter, you know, the top law firms, Freshfields, Herbert Smith, all of those, the top investment bankers, they all have beds now in the offices so people can go, you know. Yeah. But actually, the leaders of these organizations know that there's a point at which if you make more effort, you get zero mm. outcome. So mm-hmm. we kind of intuitively know that. And we all know that in our personal lives. Yeah. Very often with a personal problem, we're trying to make something happen. And so we push and we push and we push. And yeah. actually, it makes no difference. And one of the things I used to say a lot is in my 20s and 30s, if I came up against a door that was closed, I'd kick it in, metaphorically, whatever <laughs> the thing, you know. Yeah. And actually, in my 40s and 50s, I began, just began to learn that if I came up against a door that was closed, I turned around and looked for a door that was open. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So I think the first thing in terms of understanding how this principle works is to understand the level of noise and the level of debate that goes on inside our mind. And I think most people understand that we know what it's like we have a dilemma do we do a or b we spend hours and hours and hours inside our heads debating that and one of the elements behind all of that energy and by the way um living like that takes a huge amount of energy if we understand from a scientific point of view the way the 
universe works is about energy and it's energy input and energy output. We spend a huge amount of energy every day, sometimes like, does she like me? Does she not like me? Did he, you know, when he upset me, he, did he mean to upset me? And that all absorbs energy. Yeah. And so the first point of understanding this principle is to bring awareness to the fact that we're spending a huge amount of wasted energy every day, every waking moment, arguing with reality. Yeah. And one of the ways we do this, or one of the reasons we do this, is actually control. So there's various expressions that embody this. And one is that many teachers have said that we argue with what is. Because what is, that's the way it is. And there's a kind of insanity in trying to change what is. But that's what we spend a huge amount of energy. Secondly, Mm. and aligned with that, is we're constantly trying to change the way reality is. And again, it's what this principle is saying to us is if we sit back and we actually understand that in this moment, everything is as it should be. Now, that's a big leap for a lot of people. Yeah. But one of the things that I do in my life, one of the things that my wife and I do together, we remind each other several times a day if necessary, everything in this moment, everything is as it should be. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing to change. Mm -hmm. And it's understanding that whatever is happening is supporting us and it's happening for our growth from a very deep place within us We've created the path in front of us so that we can evolve away from that old way of being to Mm -hmm. a new way of being. And some people might remember that in the first podcast, we talked about the law of pure potentiality. Yeah. And we talked about the relationship between the inner and the outer. And if we're anchored in the outer reality, the outer reality of who says what, who turns up, who doesn't turn up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then we're in that world of constant phonetic activity. Even if the activity is in our head, it's a busy, 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 busyness. And when we step back from that and we anchor ourselves in the inner reality, then we create space. There's a vastness of space there. And Mm -hmm. in that space, then we can achieve whatever we want or from that space. So it's understanding all of these principles linked together. And the law of least effort is understanding we have to step off the treadmill. We have to get out of that constant inner dialogue and that frenetic activity to pause. There's a friend of mine who I I think you know who runs retreats. She's been running retreats for 10 years. It's called The Pause. And she has various, it's about taking people out of their life. Every six months, as you know, Mm. I go away for two weeks without a phone. I I unplug from my life. And so we don't need to do this in an intense way, but we need to learn to step back from our life for two minutes several times a day because the outer reality that we're caught up in is not achieving what we think it achieves. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It does. It does. It's a, it's a lot of practice, Andrew, because as you know, I mean, I've been struggling a lot and I'm certainly sure I'm not the only one. It's just so peaceful to have this remembrance 
available. Like every time something doesn't go the way we think would be best for us to remember that there is a bigger plan and everything is as should be. So I think um, that's probably the way to go. A lot of teachers talk about acceptance. Yeah. And one of the key things, I think Deepak talks about it around this principle, that the key to this understanding, this law, is that we need to accept things as they are and not wish them to be different in every moment. So, again, I think if you and I were honest with ourselves, we'd say a lot of time in the day is wanting something to be different to how it is, whatever, whether it's our spouse, our our children, or whatever. And the moment we're in that, that's wasted energy. So Mm. the idea of of this law is to do less and accomplish more. And the first part of doing less is being willing to practice acceptance and not to continue arguing with the way things are and trying to change them. And there's many, many different scripts we develop. There might be an injustice script that the way it is isn't fair. You know, my yeah. my siblings got a million pounds each, I got nothing. It's not fair. And the, yeah. the injustice script keeps feeding this frenzy attack on mm. what is happening, and that doesn't achieve anything. So this idea of doing less to achieve more is we have to be willing to stop doing all of the stuff that is not achieving what we want it to. Yeah. It's incredible the amount of weight that it takes off your shoulder. In the few moments where I manage to see this, I really feel a lot of weight. It can be for something extremely simple, like waking with the flu when you have a very busy week. And, you know, sometimes you think, man, I can't believe this. It's impossible. I can't get the flu now. And when you give in to the feeling and just say, okay, listen, your body needs to rest this week for some reason that I don't know yet. And I don't know, you even manage maybe to cure that flu even quicker. (laughs) Yeah, of course. No, of course. It's a a very, I think that's a very good example. Very strange. Anyway, so it's good to have this available, Andrew. Thank you for that. One of the things that I know Deepak Chopra talks about in his book is he talks about the amount of time and energy that we use defending our point of view. Now, one of the things that you and I are familiar with is we we talk about the ego, and the ego is really a word for identity. And we we create this identity on who I think I am. So I have an identity as a father, as a husband, as a lover, as as a teacher, etc., etc., and, and our identity is a little bit like a, a work of art. It's a sculpture that we've been working on for many yeah. decades. And if we are willing to really observe ourselves throughout a day, we mm-hmm. spend an awful lot of time and energy defending that identity and the points of view that arise yeah. from that identity. So even, yeah. you know, controversial issues like gender identity or, you know, um, what's happening in the world with racism or with, you know, Russia invading Ukraine or all of those things about politics, about 
you know, Donald Trump or Boris Johnson or whatever it is yeah. that absorbs whatever all our time. Whatever your opinion is, what, yeah. What we're really doing is we're defending our point of view. Yeah. And one of the things that um, many different teachers have said, which is mm-hmm. a consequence of doing this work and practicing these principles, is that there is nothing to defend. Once we understand, once we step out of that arena of identity of ego, there is nothing to defend. Mm. And so part of this practicing, achieving more by doing less, is stepping out of that arena, just think there's nothing to defend. We don't if I have a an experience um that i'm sharing with you and someone attacks it well i don't need to defend it it's my experience it's just it is what it is yeah and that applies to a whole number of different experiences and Mm -hmm. it's seeing it's just again if we have a modicum of self-honesty it's seeing how much of our finite energy we spend Mm -hmm. is absorbed by all those arguments about our point of view. So I'm going to put myself in somebody's shoes now that have not had the chance to have so many sessions with you. The one thing that would have popped into my mind hearing you say that is then how do I express my views then if I I have to let go of making my point or not? So that's a great question. And there's a distinction between what you said No one is saying don't express your views. What we're saying Mm. is you don't need to defend them. So you you can express your views all day long. And But what you don't need to do is when someone comes along with a different view, you don't need to defend it. So, you know, I have this with my children all the time, that, of course, they're a different generation, and Mm. I say something, and they say the opposite, and I say, how beautiful, how interesting. The energy is absorbed when we get into trying to make ourselves right in order to make you wrong. Yeah, I guess the difference between maybe somebody like you who's having this conversation and someone else is it's when they say it's beautiful or whatever, just because we know we have to say that it's still not very authentic. So there is a passive aggressiveness until this law sinks in, like until you really feel that you don't need actually to be right. Yeah, it's not about being right or wrong. It's expressing your views, and, that, and if the that, other one doesn't, that does agree. introduce yeah. another element that we've talked about before. And and it's it's you know all of this stuff, Lara, as you know, is nuanced. It's not yeah. it's not straightforward. But of course, um, I I think there is a place sometimes when we're practicing any kind of spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. to actually, there's an expression I came across 40 years ago, which is fake it to make it. Yeah. And I, I hated it. <laughs> I, I used to have a reaction to it. Now mm-hmm. I think there's a place for that. So for example, if you're in a relationship or you've, you know, and you just want to say something nasty or you want to say something hurtful, yeah. I think there's a place for saying, I really want to say something nasty, but I'm not going to. I'm going to practice mm-hmm you know, containment, I'm going to practice withholding. And I think that's true of a lot of things. It might be, you know, you say something that I want to, you know, I I get triggered by and I I want to say, no, you're completely wrong. This is the way it is. I think there's a place for saying, actually, I want to say that, but on this occasion, I'm just going to withhold it. Because through that practice, 
it then becomes more real and more spontaneous that I honestly, most of the time, I Mm -hmm. honestly believe that your view is as valid as mine. And and I Mm -hmm. think my children's view is as valid as mine. They have very different views of the world. And some of my friends have very, very different views. An obvious arena for this is if you get into the arena of religion and, you know, men and women of religion, mainly men, I have to say, have been killing each other for hundreds of years over being right or wrong. And, you know, if we're willing to say that someone who is a Hindu or is a Muslim or is a Jew is equally valid as my beliefs as a Christian, if I'm a Christian. So, you know, what happens is we lock horns and we, we, we take huge amounts of energy. And the same thing happens with race, with gender, with all sorts of different issues. As you know, anyone who's been to a dinner party knows as a topic comes up and it it does take a certain discipline, but it doesn't mean that you don't have a point of view. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. It means I have my point of view. I can be passionate about my point of view, but it's different to you. Yeah. I'm just thinking how it would be if everybody practiced this. I don't know. It like seems uh, like there will be Honestly, no more wars, no more. If everybody sinks in into these spiritual lows, it seems to me like there will be a lot of answers to so many unsolved problems in the world. But I, I do also know that it's very hard to practice. This is why I love this conversation <laughs> with you, because we keep hearing them until we realize it's actually doable. I think I see this whole evolution as a sort of biological evolution that I think the phase we're going through yeah. now as as a species as humanity is shifting away from this what we call ego this identity which is very mm-hmm. rigid and, and needs defending all the time uh, into a more expansive way of being and I, I think we saw a hint of that in the 1960s when there was this uprising of love and you know we had john lennon and the hippies and all of that and really uh, you know an awful lot 90 percent of what they were saying i think would resonate as 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 true for us Mm. and i I think the only problem with that was it got caught up with drug culture a little bit and probably it wasn't quite didn't have its time but i think what's happening now is another wave of people that want to get away from the old way of effort, 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 busy, 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 effort, effort, busy. But, you know, we know that's exhausting, yet most people are still living like that. And we want to live from a different centre. And, of course, another way into this completely, Lara, is to move out of our head into our heart. Mm -hmm. As someone once said, the longest journey on the planet is from our head to our heart. But when when we're in our heart, and we're practicing love, you know, love ha- does not need to defend itself. Yeah. And, love you know, and truth. <laughs> love and truth. And, and, you know, the great teachers of our time have taught us to love our enemies. And what, what they mean by that, there is a very trite version of that. But actually what they mean by that is, is, is you can love people that hold different views to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can love them, absolutely. And, I mean, 
in my experience, you still want to prove your point, but I, I guess it's there is so much behind all of this. And the fact that now the awareness is that you can still prove your point without the this passion of wanting to be right. I think it's just if you remove that from the equation, if you realize that you're okay not being right for for that person, I think it makes uh, that part of the law quite easy to practice. I, I remember when my wife and I had a period of volatility and everything. We used to argue a lot, quite vehemently and fiercely. And we, we were in the post-argument phase and, and, you know, being very harmonious and very lovey-dovey. And my wife said to me, you know, whisper those three magic words in my ear. <laughs> and I said, yes, of course. I said, I love you. And she said, no, don't be stupid. You are right. I want to hear you are right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we, we do have a very strong propensity yes. to, yes. you know, a lot of us, when someone says you are right, it's like, oh, my God. And we get caught up in that world of right and wrong. And yes. it's just not that simple. Whereas stepping out of the ego-based world or stepping out of the outer world yeah. into the inner world when we do that, it's like all that stuff falls away, as you beautifully yeah, described. We've once we've experienced that, we just we want more of it. It's incredible the awareness. Every single conversation I have with you, I come, uh, you know, to think that if you have the awareness on what is really going on, it is so much easier. So to, I want to uh, just tie this up again. Yeah with the first law of pure potentiality, because mm -hmm. I use these two principles in the business community a lot. And, and it's very, very difficult for them to understand because they're addicted to working hard. But, but when we understand the law of pure potentiality and, and what we talked about in the first law is, is we step into the field of infinite possibility. So yes. when we, when we step, away from the outer world, we get off the treadmill, we sit with the blank canvas, we sit with a field of infinite possibility. And that's the place from which everything is created, everything is manifested. We, we talked about the, you know, the world as we know it is 2% of what is, and more than 98% is space, mm -hmm. is, is unmanifest. So when we really understand that, and we're willing to sit in the field of pure pure potential or infinite possibility, then yeah. the intention, we're going to talk about intention soon, but what we can create from that place mm -hmm. is much more powerful than what we can create through effort, 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 effort. So there's the link, really. We need to learn to mm -hmm. sit in that place of, of spaciousness and stillness and vastness and yeah. how we then manifest on that place. And once again, once we've seen that and had a taste of that, we want more of it. Exactly. Amazing. Amazing. So what is left from that law to, to describe? Have we missed one part of it or we have it all now? The law of the least effort. So we said accepting people yes. as they are without, you know, ignoring maybe our needs. Would you agree to say that? Yes, like, uh, I would. And then uh, to say that every situation 
can be our teacher. Yes, I would definitely say that. And uh, the third point is um, stop fighting to prove our point. Exactly. And, Amazing. And the other thing you could introduce, which we touch upon in many of these things, is being willing to give up judgment because it's the judgment mm-hmm. of the way things are, the judgment of reality, the judgment of what someone says, what they don't say. It's that judgment that gets us caught up in that tangle of right and wrong and defending our point of view and all of that. It's really, it's the arena of the ego. Or sometimes I think of it in terms of little me and big me. I get caught up in little me yeah, and I need to step away from that to the more expansive me, the field of infinite possibility. And when I'm anchored in that place, I can express a view. I can be passionate. You know, people, one of the resistances to a lot of this, in my experience, we're going to come on and we're going to talk about detachment, the the Buddhist practice of non-attachment. And a lot of people, when you talk about these concepts, they think you're going to be this sort of rather passive sitting cross-legged on the floor, you know, and it's, it's a long way from that. It's a long, you know, I've been very active in one particular business where we've put these principles into effect and the business has grown by 10 times. Yeah. It's just flown because people are beginning to understand that Mm. there's a better way of doing things. It's like, there's another way of being in the world. Mm-hmm. And we're exploring that together. It's an evolutionary shift. And yeah. I don't know. I uh, think it's that the moment now for this evolutionary shift to happen because we we had so much time to realize that whatever we were doing is not working. Exactly. Like I th- it's probably again like the normal process. We are exactly where we're supposed to be. So that's another beautiful point. One of the things, there's a lot of research around these different things, but in the business world, they discovered that if you've got five or six people or six or seven people sitting in a room, particularly men, and they're locking horns with each other, if they all get up and they walk for 30 seconds and they go into a different room, they have a different conversation. Mm -hmm. Because it's like cutting the electrical circuit. And what I often say to people who are working in a, in a tense environment, I, yeah. I, I said, just get up, go to the lavatory, sit on the lavatory for two minutes mm-hmm. and just be still mm-hmm. and then go mm-hmm. back. You'll have a different relationship to whatever was causing you stress. Yeah, This is part of doing less to achieve more. It's being willing to step back. Yeah and then reassess. And this is a very simple practice that people have talked about in many different ways through a variety of different cultures for thousands of years. I think once you practice, 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 the difficult point is to make sure you're doing exactly what you have to do because we're here in a human body to to also do things to, to be able to reach an outcome. But as you often say, you do it without this controlling, attaching way of wanting it to happen exactly the way you planned it in your head. But you still have to do what you have to do in order to reach. You're absolutely right, Lara. And I'm glad you've mentioned that because we touched on it earlier, but we didn't really do it justice. Because 
an awful lot of the arguing that goes on in mm. our head with reality is basically about control. Yeah. So often when something happens, we start negotiating about what might happen tomorrow or next week, or if you make this happen, I'll do this. Or, and, and it's all about a control mechanism to try to control what's happening. And, mm-hmm. and at the heart of this law, at the heart of this principle, is really being willing to give up that control yeah. and to trust what will arise, to harness ourselves to the power of the universe, the power of the field of infinite possibility, and to know that what is created from that place will be in my best interests. Because yes. it, all, it, it yeah. can't not be, it always is. Absolutely. And even when we think we've done a huge mistake, it was part of the plan. <laughs> exactly. To yeah. reach you where you want to reach. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew. I honestly can't thank you enough for jumping in in this conversation for me. It's to wonderful. try and spread all of these things I've learned with you, with everyone that needs to hear them. When we get to and the end, we need to start again. <laughs> yes, definitely. And the next time I'm, you're going to join me, it will be to discuss the law of intention and desire. Lovely. And it will be law number five. Thank Wonderful. you very much, Andrew. Thank you, Laura. God See bless. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Andrew about the law of the least effort. I look forward to having you again for Law number five, the next law of the seven spiritual laws of success by Deepak Chopra will be the law of intention and desire. I look forward to meeting you again. Please don't forget to share this podcast with anyone that you think may be interested and may benefit from this conversation. Thank you very much.